If you would, please open with me in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to focus on verses 12 through 17 this morning. Paul writes this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This here is Paul's testimony. And he, he gives his testimony several places in the Scripture, one time here and a few places in Acts. And here is what Paul is saying here in a nutshell. This is sort of the big idea of the message this morning. Paul is saying this, I am a big sinner, but Jesus is a bigger Savior. That's the message that Paul is conveying here. And, and really translated to us, here is the big idea that I want you to get this morning. And it's this. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it shapes you and me. It fashions you and me to, to see ourselves as big sinners, but Jesus as a bigger Savior. That's what the gospel does. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to explain that sort of big idea, right? I've, I've said that the gospel shapes you into a person who continually sees yourself as a big sinner, but Jesus is a big Savior. So I want to unpack that. And then what I want to do is I want to I show you uh, this statement. I want to bring some support to this statement from men in the past who are a lot smarter than I am, <laughs> And to kind of support this. And then I want to offer some uh, objections that you may have as we go along, as, as we sort of unpack this that may arise in your, in your mind. All right, so first we're going to explain this big idea. Then I want to support this big idea. And then I want to walk through some objections. So first, I want to explain this big idea. And here again, here's the big idea again, if you didn't get it. The gospel shapes you, it, it molds you, it, it, it fastens you into a person who continually sees yourself as a big sinner, but Jesus as a bigger Savior. And here's why I say this. Here's why I say that this is Paul's 
uh, big idea, what he's saying here in his testimony, is because something strikes me odd about Paul's testimony here. And I don't know if it strikes you odd if you've ever read this passage and, and you've looked at it and, and why is Paul saying this? This is a little bit odd. He doesn't say, Paul doesn't say that he was the chief of sinners, but he says that he is, present tense, the chief of sinners. Look at it with me again in verse 15. He says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am. Present tense, right now, the foremost of all. Now this strikes me as a bit odd. It should strike you as a bit odd. Why do I say that? Well, I think that in the natural course of things, Paul would be, he would be more sanctified later on in his life than when he first became a believer. Right? You would think that, uh, let's call him the 65-year-old Paul here, because he was an older man when he wrote 1 Timothy. So you would think that the 65-year-old Paul would be a little more holy, a little more godly, a little more sanctified than the 35-year-old Paul. After all, Paul had, he had already written, think about this, he had already written Thessalonians, Galatians, Corinthians, Romans, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. And we know what's in those books. <laughs> he wrote all those already. Okay, all right. So maybe, maybe the, the, the thing with Paul is maybe he was getting old and, and you know, you get old and you get a little senile, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or maybe Paul had what we call, maybe Paul had a self-esteem problem. Just always beating himself up over his sin. Now that's not, that's not it at all. In fact, he already stated, look at verse 13. He says what his sins are. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Right? He, he admits his sin. He's open with his sin. Paul here is saying, it's, it's remarkable what he's saying. He's saying, I am the chief of sinners. And this is why I say this is odd. It's odd because what this teaches us, as I've said, is that the gospel, what, what the gospel did for Paul and what it do, should do for us is it should shape us mold us as people who, who continually, ongoing, we see ourselves as big sinners, but Jesus as a bigger Savior. 
In other words, what should happen as we grow is that we see more and more. We see deeper and deeper. We see further and further inside of who we really are. And this kind of seems odd to me. It seems a little bit counterintuitive, but it is true. It is what I like to say. It's the odd, the odd dynamic of the Christian life. I could state the truth in a positive way like this. The more we grow, the more we see our need for growth. The more we see we need to grow. Or, to state it negatively, we cannot grow spiritually if we do not see our need to grow. Let me use a personal illustration that might help this make this more, a little bit more concrete to you. So I remember when I graduated from uh, high school, uh, in my, looking back, in, in my pride, I thought I knew a lot. I'm a high school graduate. Like, look what I've accomplished. And, and I got to my first year of college, my freshman year, and it was like the world opened up to me. And I was like, oh my goodness, there is a lot here that I need to learn. There is a lot that I don't know. And that was a sign of my at least intellectual growth, right? I recognized, I began to see how much I didn't know, how much I need to grow, how much I need to learn. Are you following me? Right? That, that's the point. So, so the gospel, it never leaves us stagnant. God does his work in us, and, and it's always the gospel doing the work. Right? He is the agent, yes, we participate in our growth, but without him, we, we can do nothing. And so that gospel shapes you in a person who continually, you ongoing, you see yourself as a big sinner and Jesus as a bigger Savior, which is a sign of your spiritual growth. And so let me continue explaining this. I use this language of big and bigger for a reason. Right For a reason, to, to communicate something, something deliberate that I see here in this text. You see, growth and seeing yourself for who you truly are is, is always, it's always a, a perspective, it's always about comparison and contrast. This is why Paul's gospel testimony is actually filled with contrast. Look with me at verse 14. He says, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was what? Look what he says. It was more than abundant. Right? More than abundant. He had more than abundant grace. Look at verse 15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. And in verse 16, he talks about the perfect patience of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are words of comparison and contrast. It's why I say that the gospel shapes you into a person who continually sees yourself as a big sinner 
but Jesus as a bigger Savior. You see, the truth is, is that seeing yourself, seeing your sin, is always an issue of contrast. Seeing your sin never occurs in a vacuum. There's always something that gives contrast to seeing your sin. Let let me give you an illustration of this. So there was a little girl, and she lived on a sheep farm here in Minnesota with her parents. And this little girl loved the outdoors, and any chance she got, she loved to go outside and play. So one day, she's outside, she's playing in her backyard, and in her backyard, looking out, she can see all of her daddy's sheep out on the field. And as she looked out on those sheep, she recognized, she thought to herself, wow, the sheep look really clean today. Like, did, I, I wonder if daddy, you know, went and, and gave them a bath, if he hosed them down. How, how do they look so clean? Well, it was like a passing moment for a little five-year-old girl, right? As usually it is for five-year-olds. And so she didn't think too much of it, and so she just went on her way and, and play. Well, she came in that night and um, went to bed, and the next morning, um, overnight, it had snowed. Now, here in Minnesota, we get snow, like tons of snow, right? So it had snowed, and um, she loved to play in the snow, so she woke up to this fresh Um, batch of snow on the ground and she got all of her winter clothes on and she went outside in the backyard and she as she was playing she noticed the sheep out on the field and this time as she looked at the sheep what did she recognize the sheep looked dirty and she wondered to herself what happened overnight that the sheep got so dirty. Were they playing with the pigs? No, sheep don't do that, right? What happened? Well, you know what happened. You see, nothing changed in the sheep. What was the difference? The difference was the backdrop. The difference was the six inches of fresh snow on the ground that she was comparing to those sheep. And against the pure white snow, those sheep looked pretty dirty. It's the same way it works in the Christian life. When we compare ourselves to what? To the holiness of God. To the righteous law of God, when we do that, when we compare ourselves to Him, we, we fall so far short, don't we? We're, we're dirty, just like the sheep. But when we compare ourselves to others, to our neighbors, to our fellow church members, to our brothers and sisters, you know, we're pretty good sometimes. Right? So seeing your sin is is always an issue of comparison and and contrast. But at the same time, at the same time as we see ourselves as big sinners, we see Jesus as a bigger Savior. We do. I'll put it like this. Christian growth, Christian growth. here's Here's what the Christian life is about. Christian growth is primarily... It's not about you getting better. 
The Christian life is primarily about Jesus getting bigger. And, and the irony of it is, is that when Jesus becomes bigger and bigger and bigger in your eyes, you will get better. You will grow. You will change when he becomes more beautiful in your eyes. You see, here, here, here it is in a nutshell. If your sin is small, you need a small Savior. But when your sin is big, that is when you see your sin as big against the white, hot holiness of God, then you need a big Savior to, to, to come and, 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 and rescue you from your sin. Small sin equals a small Savior. Big sin equals a big Savior. This is what Paul says. This is what he means. Jesus gets bigger and bigger and bigger in my eyes. Look at what he says in verse 13. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And, and he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. I am this big sinner, but Jesus has more than abundant grace for me as a big Savior. My sin is big, but Jesus is bigger. And, and he communicates this truth. Paul communicates this truth that Jesus is a bigger Savior in verse 16. Look what he says. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal Life. Paul, in other words, recognized that he was a great sinner so that, so that Jesus would demonstrate his perfect grace against the backdrop of sinful Paul. So when we see our sinfulness, our rebellion, our waywardness, our transgression, our uncleanness, when you see that in yourself, what is happening is you are gaining an accurate picture of yourself. And, and you are simultaneously gaining an accurate picture of who Jesus is. That's how the Christian life works. You become smaller and smaller and smaller, and Jesus becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. You know what? The Apostle John said it like this. You remember what he said? I must decrease but he must increase Th that's it that's the christian life in a nutshell the puritan thomas watson said unless your sin is bitter christ will not be sweet unless your sin is bitter christ will not be sweet the gospel shapes you into a person who continually sees yourself as a big sinner, but Jesus as a big Savior. Now, what I've already said here, notice 
I've, I've said. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the actor. This is what the gospel does. It doesn't leave us stagnant. It brings us to recognize more and more of who we are and who Jesus is. And this is why Paul wrote the book of 1 Timothy. To show us what a gospel-shaped church and therefore Christian looks like. This is why he wrote it. And he writes this here to encourage Timothy in the face of these false teachers. So that's an explanation of the big idea. Second, I want to, I want to borrow uh, a few pastors and theologians from the past, and I want to give you some things that they have said about, about this, um, about what Paul says here in this passage. So let me make this clear that this doesn't prove my point, this supports my point. Right? What prove it, what's proving my point is the scripture. What supports my point is these men a lot smarter than me and you. <laughs> so here you go. Starting way, way back, John Calvin. John Calvin says this. He says that scripture's, quote, whole end is to restrain our pride, to humble us, cast us down, and utterly crush us. <laughs> Not so edifying, huh? <laughs> That's Scripture's whole end, he says. Why? Why is that Scripture's end? So you will see Jesus as bigger. That's why. That's why. So that's John Calvin. Moving a century later, John Bunyan said this, No sin against God can be little because it is against the great God. No wonder if you're familiar with John Bunyan, he wrote this autobiography testimony and he titled it Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. He got it. Bunyan understood Paul's message here. A century later, Jonathan Edwards here in the United States, I find this so remarkable. He was reflecting back on his life. Jonathan Edwards who wrote so many, so many awesome, amazing things, reflecting back on his life, said this, quote, It is affecting to me to think how ignorant I was when I was a young Christian and of the bottomless, infinite depths of wickedness, pride, hypocrisy, and deceit left in my heart. That's Jonathan Edwards' testimony. Across the pond, not nearly a century later, John Newton. John Newton, the slave trader, converted Christian, author of Amazing Grace. He wrote this, When I was young, I was sure of many things. There are only two things of which I am sure now. One is that I am a miserable sinner. And the other is that Jesus Christ is an all-sufficient Savior. That's what John Newton said at the end of his life. I am only certain of two things. Jesus, or I am a big sinner. Jesus is a bigger Savior. More recently, John Charles Riley stated, the man whose soul is growing, the man whose soul is growing feels his own sinfulness and unworthiness more every year. And finally, our beloved go-to man, John MacArthur, wrote this, 
the mark of mature life is not sinlessness, which is reserved for heaven, but a growing awareness of our sinfulness. Now, I can multiply examples, and and let me just encourage you, you don't have to be named John to get the main point. (laughs) The point is that all of these theologians confirm this truth, that the gospel shapes you. It shapes you into a person who continually, ongoing in your life, as you're walking your Christian life, you you more and more and more see yourself as a big sinner and Jesus as a bigger Savior. That's what the gospel does. So before I close, let 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 me try to anticipate some objections that you might have this morning. The first objection is that what you've just said today, Dan, is so discouraging. (laughs) This is so discouraging to me. Well, I suppose it could be discouraging, right? Certainly experiencing your sinfulness, having fresh realities of your sinfulness is not fun. As Shakespeare says, few love to hear the things they love to act. But let me give you an example of my own life that I think maybe you can relate to, not in the exact details, but at least in principle. So, a while back I was preaching a sermon, and I distinctively remember that on Monday morning, following the sermon that day, I was was discouraged because I, I, I felt like the sermon didn't, didn't go well. It didn't, it didn't go as planned. I had very, various expectations for, for what I thought the sermon would accomplish, and I, I just felt like it, it went poorly. So when I got home from work on Monday night, I shared with my wife that I was discouraged. I was thinking about my sermon all day. And she said something to me in love, but it was exactly what I needed to hear. She said, you think your sermon didn't go well? Dan, that's a proud thought. And I was like, ouch. <laughs> I mean, man, that hit me right in the eyes. And, and it was totally like in passing and in love. And, and um, it sort of took me a while to register to get it, you know. And, uh, and, and then my mind, immediate went, immediately it went to something that, that I've read um, that C.S. Lewis has wrote about humility. And C.S. Lewis has said, you know, typically we think about um, a proud person as someone who thinks too highly of himself, but he says a proud person also thinks too lowly of themselves. And, and Lewis makes the argument that humility is actually not thinking about yourself at all. And so that was my problem. I was thinking too, too lowly about myself, but it was really pride. And then the funniest thing happened. I I became discouraged for another reason, because I was proud about thinking lowly about my sermon. You ever been there? That sort of vicious cycle of discouragement to discouragement, sin to sin, that's what I was in. And then finally, the Lord helped me to see the truth of this message this morning. Oh, God. 
need Jesus. I'm a big sinner. And you showed me a fresh batch of that here, Lord, lately. And, and Jesus, though, is a bigger Savior. You see, seeing your sin, experiencing sin, falling into sin, committing sin, seeing the evil that is in your heart, it, it can be discouraging. In fact, it is most of the time if you're a believer. And like, this is icky. Like, Lord, like, like, why am I doing this? Why am I thinking this? It can be discouraging, but only if you stay there and wallow in it. What you and I need to do is, and what we're meant to do is, our sin is meant to drive us to Jesus. It is. And God is so merciful and loving and gracious to show us who we really are. So we will run to Christ. This is the way we always get to Jesus. It's always through the cross. Jesus isn't primarily a good coach who comes alongside and sort of picks you up when you're discouraged. Yes, he does that. He's not primarily a teacher who instructs you and gives you wisdom and know how to walk this life. Yes, he does that. Jesus is primarily a Savior who saves you and me from our self. That's what Jesus is. And, and we only get to Jesus through the cross. We don't go to Jesus as this great teacher, as this great coach. We go to him as the Savior who bled and died for our sin. So, here's the question I want to ask you. Friends of Faith Bible Church this morning, are you discouraged this morning? Do you see, have you seen lately, I'm talking about like this week, have you seen your sin anew? Has God shown you your heart, your, your heart and, and how much you need a Savior? If he has, let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, you are exactly where he wants you to be. Why? Because now you can run to him. Now you can flee to him. You can, you can go to him and cry out, Oh Jesus, I need you again. I need you again. Yes, it is discouraging to have a fresh reality of who you really are, but don't stay there, brothers and sisters. Don't stay there. Rejoice. Rejoice in the fact that though you are the worst of sinners, you have the best of saviors, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this is one reason, and I already stated this, it's one reason Paul writes this book, and it's one reason Paul inserts his testimony here. It almost seems out of place. And if you're reading through the book of 1 Timothy, and obviously we're not preaching through all of it this morning, but he talks about these false teachers just a few verses earlier, and why does then he go to his testimony? And here's the reason, because there was these false teachers in the church of Ephesus, and Timothy was discouraged. And Paul says, hey, look at Timothy. This is what the gospel does to even me. 
And if the gospel can change me, the worst of sinners, it can change these false teachers. It can change their hearts so that they preach the truth and they teach the truth. That's why Paul gives this testimony here. It's, it's the testimony of how the gospel shapes someone, and in this case Paul, to see himself as a big sinner, but Jesus as a bigger Savior. So, if you are feeling your wretchedness more and more, be encouraged. That's so odd, but yet it's so true. Second objection is, is this. So, if you're thinking through me and, and you think through the implications of what I said, you, you think about, okay, what you said this morning I think what you're saying this morning almost sounds like that, that I need to be like sinning more and more so that Jesus will become bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the reasoning goes like this. In order to grow in Christ, I need to sin more because I will see Jesus more and more. Now, I get the reasoning, but the reasoning is flawed. <laughs> The reasoning is not biblical. In, in fact, Paul addressed this very same argument to the church of Rome. And let me paraphrase what Paul said. Should we continue to sin so that God's grace and the gospel may become bigger and bigger and bigger in our eyes? May it never be. May it never be. Here's the thing. The Bible calls us as Christians to turn from our sin, to kill our sin or mortify our sin, to hate our sin, to repent of our sin, but it never tells us, it never gives us the license to commit sin, to engage in sin. We're never commanded to do that. The reality of it is, though, here's the reality. The reality of it is, as though we're called to repent, kill, hate, forsake sin, we still sin, <laughs> even as believers. And so that's why we're called to repent. We're called to forsake it. It's not a matter of if, it's always a matter of when. And when we do sin in word and in deed and in thought, not only... In fact, when we repent, at that moment, we are seeing our sin, we are forsaking our sin, and we're turning once again into faith and seeing how big Jesus is to cover our sin. That's, that's how we came into the Christian life, faith and repentance, and that's how we walk in the Christian life, repentance and faith. I like to think of it like this. Our hearts are like onions. Have you ever heard of this analogy? Our hearts are like onions. And you know an onion has layers and layers and layers to it, right? And so what is happening to you, what is happening to me, is as we walk the Christian life over time, what God is doing to us is he's sort of peeling back one layer of that onion, one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. And we're seeing more and more the depths of who we truly are. And why is God doing that? He's doing that so that we go deeper and deeper into Christ. We go deeper and deeper into the gospel. We see Jesus as this bigger Savior. So the point is, the point is, is, that, is that this big idea doesn't lead to sin. 
In other words, it's not so much that growing, growing in Christ necessarily sin, means sinning more and more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that growing in Christ, reckon, it means that you're, you're, you're recognizing, you're, you're sensing, you're seeing, you're feeling more and more the depths of what is contained in your heart. That God is weeding out. That God is weeding out. Now, here, let me finally get to the third objection. The third objection is that this picture of the Christian life is inaccurate. This, This doesn't seem right, what you're saying. I know I am a sinner. I get that. You don't have to convince me of that (laughs) this morning. But am I also not a new creation in Christ Jesus? Shouldn't I view myself no longer as a sinner, but as a saint? I've actually heard someone say to me one time, you Christian people are, are way too negative. You're always focusing on sin. Now, the problem with this objection is that it poses a false dilemma. It poses an either-or. It says either you are a sinner or you are a saint, but not both. But the biblical truth is that we are simultaneously sinners and saints. In other words, we have been justified. We are legally righteous. So when God sees us, There is no condemnation anymore for us. But that sort of righteousness sort of covers us like a garment. But inside, our hearts are not all totally complete and whole. And that's where we have this sanctification where we're we're growing more and more into the image of Christ. Our, Our hearts and our minds and wills and hands need to continually be transformed according to the Word of God. We haven't arrived. And so the biblical view of yourself works in a cycle of sorts. Here's the cycle. We see our sin, for how big it is, and then we repent. And at the same time we repent, we're believing and clinging once again to Jesus and his cross, and and then we're recognizing, because we see him and how holy he is, then we're recognizing that we're sinners. And when we see our sin and commit sin, then we're repenting. And it's this cycle. It really is. And it's, it's, this cycle that we need to be in. And and let me encourage you today, friends, if you feel yourself like in this cycle and like, I want to get out of this cycle, like I should be getting better, don't go there. Stay in the cycle. Stay in the recycle, in the cycle of repentance and faith. That's where we live. That's where God wants us. So the picture that I presented of this big idea is not inaccurate. We need to see ourselves as sinners and as saints. In other words, we should have a biblical view of ourselves. shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. We shouldn't take, think too lowly of ourselves. We should have a, a biblical view of ourselves, an accurate view of ourselves. So let me, let me wrap up this morning by, by asking you this question. Where, where are you at today?
when was, when was the last time that the Lord showed you your sin and you, you felt sorry or you felt, actually you felt, uh, you, you felt broken, not whole. Or, or even, even maybe, maybe you felt utterly undone before a holy God. Wh- wh- when has that happened to you? Has it been a while? And, and if it's been a while, I would say that's, that is pause for concern. That, that is pause for concern. Now, now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I mean, we don't need any guilt heaped upon us. Right? The, I'm asking these questions not to shame you, not to make you feel guilty, but, but to take you where Paul goes in this passage. And, and it's no wonder why, to me, when Paul gives his testimony and he lays out this truth that I am this big sinner, I am the chief of sinners. Paul, who did all this for Christ, in his later life he could say, I'm a chief of sinners. And look what he does at the end here in verse 17. Look how he ends this. It's no wonder that Paul ends his testimony like this. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's what Paul is saying. I am a big sinner, but Jesus is a big bigger Savior. The gospel shapes you, friends. The gospel shapes you into a person who continually sees yourself as a big sinner and Jesus as a big Savior. And, and to that, what, what can we say but amen? <laughs> amen, Lord. Amen to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.